The Athletic. Welcome to Pod on the Tine, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on the show this week. Everything must go. Finally, those bloody signs come down. Isotopes win. Newcastle get three points for the first time in nearly 200 days. And after a dramatic change of atmosphere at St James's Park, are the foxes running scared? Hello indeed to you all, this is Pod on the Tyne, I'm your host Taylor Payne and it is a pleasure to introduce my esteemed colleague, the Athletic Senior Writer, Mr George Culkin. How the devil are you George? What a difference a win makes to life, doesn't it? Oh, I've got a right little buzz on, I've got a buzz, I'm buzzing, I'm <laughs> Didn't buzzing. Didn't know where that was going there. <laughs> no, I have, I'm, it's like it's Monday, it's dark, it's wet, it's raining, It's but I've got a smile on my face, yeah, I feel... Oh. Feel feel good. How about you? I'm not too bad, yeah. I have to say, mind, esteemed is the word that we used to describe you in the intro there, and esteemed is the right word, uh, because I <laughs> I did a wedding on uh, Saturday night, um, and the groom came up to me in a slightly dishevelled state and said, uh, listen, Taylor, right, um, I love the podcast. I'll, you and Chris are sound, by the way, but George Culkin is a legend. Can you tell him that he's a legend? Please, mate, tell him that he is a legend. Um, so, George, you are a legend. Just thought I'd let you know. Well, thank you. That's Yeah, that's that's a bit nicer than the OAP jokes I was getting last week. Um... <laughs> well, actually, no, because I, I did look up the word legend, and apparently you have to be dead to be a legend. So there you oh, go. Well, they, well, yeah, fair enough. I'm on the way. I'm on the way. Yeah, it won't be long. <laughs> Anyway, we've got loads to get through this week. Rob Tanner's coming on in just a bit, so let's crack on. Come on, you Maggies. Right then, for once, it was a very happy Monday on Tyneside. A victory finally on the board, a few sore heads, and then word spreading uh, that the Sports Direct signage is coming down at St James's Park. It truly feels like we're turning the page on the old regime. George, uh, it's felt at times like we've been going through some sort of long drawn out divorce with the Mike Ashley era doesn't it but finally the last remnants of that shitty blue and red tat is being <laughs> crowbarred off the wall doesn't it and uh, it feels good it does yeah it's exactly as you say it's um it's um sort of finally finally getting that sort of um scarring off the stadium you know it's impossible to go there on match day and to sort of take a picture and not see it somewhere and um yeah, it's funny what it represented. I mean, it's yet, it's yet another one of those little, sort of little baffling things that it's kind of difficult to explain to to sort of other people. So, I mean, I, I kind of want I want to I want to hear what you think as well. But for me, it sort of represents that kind of mediocrity that has kind of hung around the club like a bad smell for a long time. It's that feeling of it being a, a works team for Sports Direct, but it's also it's also like represented the fact that. It's a club not trying to be the best it can be because we know that for a long time Sports Direct weren't paying money for that advertising. They were towards the end, but certainly not paying market value. And so you had this outsourced cutback club that 
really was treading water in terms of commercial and market, marketing and stuff like that. And that it just summed it all up for me. It really summed it up. And there was something like 150 of these billboards around the place. Oh, it was ridiculous. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's a. I mean, God knows what they'll replace them with, but um, but I mean, maybe it'll be um, man man shaping. I mean, that would be good, but. Um, <laughs> Manscaped. Manscaped, <laughs> yeah, whatever. I'd love that. Manshaping. That's a different product altogether, Joe. Is it? Sorry, yes, I apologise. Yes, I was... Um, I got distracted. <laughs> <laughs> to me, the Sports Direct signs were just... It, it was ugliness. Um, and it wasn't just ugliness in that, it, you know, aesthetically it wasn't very pleasing. It was the ugliness that came with the club and that it felt like we were an ugly football club. It was sort of... It was tacky and it was just... They were everywhere. I did a little bit of filming inside St James's Park a few years ago, and there wasn't an angle that you could put the camera up that didn't have fifteen fucking Sports Direct signs in it. It was just, <laughs> it was just too much. And and I always felt like, um, you know, the 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 Sports Direct Arena at St James's Park thing. I mean, they changed the name, and we kicked off so much about it. But it always just felt like that, didn't it? It always just felt like it was the Sports Direct Arena, even if it really wasn't. Yeah, and I mean, that takes us back sort of quite a long time now. But yeah, of course, they did that. And I mean, you know, perhaps perhaps these owners will at one point, you know, think about getting a sponsor in for the stadium name. I don't think, I would never have had a problem with that if A, it had been sort of talked about under the previous regime, and B, they'd actually paid some bloody money. Because the, yeah. the, 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 the really offensive thing was that sense of, oh, well, we're just going to, the, fr- the phrase they used was showcase. We're going to showcase, showcase yeah. it. And no money came. Which was in bullshit, from it. really, wasn't it? Of course that it was. was yeah, bullshit. of course it was. Of course it was. And um, yeah, so it was that sort of. It was that. It sort of represented those sort of nicks to the prestige, really. And even when the new owners came in, they they took pictures on the pitch and they struggled for ages to actually take a picture to do the same thing to take a picture that didn't have sports direction in the background, and it did feel like this just scarring on sort of this noble, noble old building. And, um, yeah, thank God it's gone. I'm, I'm a bit sad. I wanted to be in the stadium, actually, when it came down. That would have been kind of quite fun, but that's not to be. But um, I did send a tweet to the club um, the, about a minute after the takeover went through saying, if anybody wants that Sports Direct taken down, I know 20 good lads who've got crowbars who will have it down within an hour and we can have a have a big bonfire in, uh, on Leeser's Park and burn the whole lot. But, yeah, but there we go. It's gone, finally. Yeah, and it's that thing. It's like it's it's funny, isn't it? It's there have been stages to the takeover. You kind of think, you think to yourself, oh well, when it goes, you know, when it happens, that'll be it. That's it. But it, it's 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 actually not been like that at all because, you know, you don't come in lock, stock, and barrel and change everything overnight. So of course, you know, Steve Bruce hung around, and then it was Graham Jones for a while. And it's then, felt like breaking up with someone, and you've got to go back to their house oh, and get God. all your stuff. For like, you know, oh, yeah. one of your hoodies Part- are still here. Oh, for God's yeah. sake. And these, yeah. the, 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 there have been these moments of turning the page. And, and of yeah. course, you know, Eddie Howe gets the job, but then can't be in the stadium for his first game because of COVID and all Crazy. that. But yeah. this feels, I mean, you know, perhaps there are other things we've not thought about, but this just feels like another big symbolic moment. But, but the, obviously the other one was getting that win on Saturday too. Yes, hang out the bunting, crack open the champagne, fire up the ignition for the open top bus parade. We've only gone and won a bloody game of football and it feels so, so sweet. Yes, it was only Burnley, but really it was a lot more besides, as this certain gentleman explains for us so eloquently. 
St James's Park was rocking again on Saturday. I was lucky enough to uh, go into Nine Bar and meet the nurses, paramedics and doctors who worked wonders in saving uh, one of our fans' life uh, about a month ago. So I sampled the atmosphere in the bar. Uh, I walked from the bar up the corridor into the glass atrium, into the, uh, into the boxes, and then um, just went and sat outside at about quarter to three and just took the atmosphere in. And then there were a few nerves. It was edgy at times, a bit of a slow start, but once the goal went in and then the back in the fans gave the players was absolutely amazing it was great to be there it was great to hear them in full voice again and it's a great place when it's like that it's unbelievable there isn't anywhere better the more the merrier <laughs> <laughs> lovely stuff there from uh, our mate alan from work that's nice that isn't it george <laughs> <laughs> yeah it brings a smile to my face saying that yeah yeah he sums it all up it's brilliant i mean hey, he was fantastic he's gone gone there and um and seen um, seen the docks and saw the fan who struggled obviously mm. during during the Tottenham game. That was um, absolutely that was a little treat for them, I'm sure. But um, yeah, just really pleased he was there to sort of sample that and feel it. And yeah, that was what it was all about, wasn't it? It was. Um, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? It's like I came out of Norwich. We 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 all three of us did that did that little recording, and I felt very. I felt I had that mix of feeling deflated with the result, really deflated with the result. But kind of emotional at the atmosphere and the way the players worked, and there was just more. There was more of. I mean, that you know, it's just getting a win, isn't it? It's that feeling again. But those things, those things we talked about after Norwich, everybody in it together, the players giving absolutely everything, and then a win at the end of it, and just that bloody noise. It's like it's all we. It's all you care about. I mean, in fact, the. The, the the win is obviously really important, but it's made me sort of think afterwards. Well, actually, you know, going down, it's not what anybody wants, and you know, everybody at the club will will continue to do everything they can to avoid it. But just having that feeling again inside the stadium is just what it's all about, and it makes me care less about yeah what happens at the end of the season and care more about just this again. Absolutely. I think going down under Ashley and going down under this ownership would be two totally different prospects, wouldn't it? It would be a, it would be like chalk and cheese. I thought the atmosphere at Norwich uh, on Tuesday was really, really good, and I thought the fans were really loud, but it just felt like they'd gone up another notch, didn't it, against Burnley, and, and obviously winning the game was massive. Them three points are so valuable. Um, um, you know, the, the scenes at the end as well, let's, let's talk about the end of the game before we talk about the start of it, the, the lap of appreciation, Eddie Howe clearly emotional, punch in the air and and his, uh, his reaction when the goal went in as well and then his reaction at full time. Just brilliant to see. I mean, that's what you want, isn't it? He looked, I mean, he did look choked. He looked like he was struggling. He, he looked like he was struggling with it a bit. And I mean, the thing is, we know that St. James is on days like that it can suck the breath from your lungs because it's so noisy and it can it can you know you can't that the cliche about not being able to hear yourself think you can't there's no room for things inside your head and to try and keep you cool i mean i know that's his job and he's a professional and you know blah 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 but when they're singing your name all the way through which they were eddie howe's black and white army absolutely all the way through you know you've really got kind of got these strangers claiming you as their own and you you get the win at the i mean I'm, it's a shiver up my spine just thinking about it now and talking about Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. And it was just so good. It's just, it honestly, it takes such a lot of getting used to having everybody in the stadium, not 
the opposition, of course, but having everybody from a Newcastle perspective in the stadium wanting the same thing and pushing for it and being forgiving, you know, being forgiving towards mistakes and urging the players on. And, you know, we saw some, I mean, uh, you know, the, 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 there have kind of been two of those little lap, lap of appreciations now. And, but, but, you know, there was also those pictures in the dressing room afterwards that the players shared. And the, the thing that I found, it's God. I mean, it's like you look at that and you've got people, you, you've got someone there. Like, I mean, I'm, so we do sit, you know, very close to the pitch in the press box. And I was there, I was there for this game. And you've got people like Isaac Hayden, who's, um, you know, who's been a brilliant servant to the club. Everyone knows how much I love him. He's not really figured under Eddie Howe. He's certainly not started a game. Um, you had Matt Ritchie who didn't play. We know how angry Matt Ritchie gets. Sake, and you've had people yeah. like Dwight Gale, who's who's not really got a yeah. sniff, and they're all smiling. They're all yeah. smiling, and it makes you think that there is still some character in this team, and and you know there's a there's a bit of um, resilience there, isn't there? And and when you see that photo and you see all those smiling faces, you think, Do you know what, we might be shit every other week, but th- there's just a chance here that these boys could pull it together and get us out of this. You just don't know, dear. Do well, that's it. I mean, and what you do need. As you know, what a manager needs. Okay, so he's come in. He's obviously made a difference. We heard some of the stuff that Callum Wilson talked about um, in in his BBC podcast at the back end of last week, which is very interesting about not feeling like they were fit enough at the at the start of the season. Um, but so you know, a new manager has come in and standards have lifted. You would expect that and hope for that. But you know, there needs to be. There needs to be sort of a result of that, so it's fine. You work players hard, okay, that's fine. But if the, at the end of the week you lose, you can't kind of keep doing that. And people buy, you know, you need to be able to show, okay, I'm not picking you, but we won a game, so you have to understand. And so there has to be that sort of buy-in, and that's really important and that's very encouraging. So there's all that, but it was just, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, I sort of said, I mean, I wrote this, this is what I, what I wrote about over the weekend. I went to Norwich as a fan and I went to Burnley in the press box and I, and I sort of, I was asked to sort of write about the emotion of this big week. And it was just, I mean, it's, it's absolutely inexplicable for other football supporters. I mean, it's, I mean, I, and I, I, I said that in what I wrote and a lot of the comments have been sort of predictably um, sort of hostile from other clubs' fans, but it's it's just that thing yeah, of wanting to win, uh, just wanting to win and just wanting to be part of something. And it's it's what we've got again, and it's 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 astonishing. There were a few uh, sort of derisory comments towards the reaction of the of the win of the three points on Saturday. I noticed from, like you say, from clubs, from other fans. But I I just think it's like an outpouring, isn't it? It's we've been holding this in for so long and waiting for that first win of the season um, that when it does come, you know, people are going on saying, well, it's as if you've won the league. Well, you know, it kind of feels like that in a way because it's just that build-up and that that waiting for it to happen. And then when you finally get the win, you think, do you know what? This, this, we might be okay here if we can, if we can bottle some of this, uh, some of this spirit and some of this energy, we, we might be all right. Um, but speaking about Callum Wilson, you mentioned him before there, exquisite composure and technique from him for that goal, wasn't it? Absolutely amazing. Uh, the fact he got it past those four defenders between him and the goal and into the roof of the net was just an unbelievable goal. It was a brilliant finish, a brilliant, brilliant finish, but also just to have that self-awareness because I, th- I think that, you know, I don't think anybody would have expected the keeper to drop the ball like that. To and take a touch there as well was so good. Yeah, and he, and if you look on the replay, he looks up, so he's, you know, he's he's in control 
and it was just a brilliant it was a brilliant finish but it's that you know it's that instinct it's that instinct around the box that he brings and you know really of the starting players he's the only he's the only one that has that so he's so valuable and so important but yeah fabulous really fabulous it's not a foul either is it it's not a foul that is it bollocks nick paul will cry himself to sleep at night thinking about that but it wasn't a foul he dropped the ball on fabian shea's head that's what happened he did and i mean again right there as it was happening, Sean Dyche turned to the fourth official and said, "How's that not a foul? How's that not a foul?" But to give him a credit, to give him credit afterwards, he says he's seen it again and he thought it was a fair. He thought it thought it was a fair challenge, and it was. And a clean sheet as well to boot. First time uh, for a little while. Wonders, and, and wonders of miracles. It's ridiculous. Of, it's, it's you know what what next? What next? What's going to happen next? Score two goals. Could I don't we know. possibly beat Leicester? <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Well, we'll be talking to Rob Tanner, our Leicester, our Leicester writer, about about that. But I mean, they have got you know they've got a trip to Europe this week, and Newcastle should have, you know, they should have freshness in their legs, and they should have energy in their legs. And you know, I I mean, I will be accused of being um, uh, very inconsistent, but you know, I don't care. I mean, I, th- I think this is the you know this is the chance to 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 back that one win up with another win and you know why not you know why not this, this um, is just ridiculous it's a long way back they're still you know they they are still you know they're still in snooker's required sort of <laughs> yeah yeah that's it yeah. points i mean they really are if you look at you know look at other teams not who've been in the same position not getting out of it but there's momentum there now and it's it's actually although you know they were six points off it at the bottom of the table there's a lot of teams still bunched up in the bottom half of the table, and so, you know, I think that it's not like it's not like a lot of teams have escaped from them. So it's what they have to do now. They do have to follow it up. But I almost don't. I almost. I mean, I do care about it, and I will certainly care about it come the weekend. But for now, it was just just amazing to to sort of revel in that in that noise and those scenes at the end, and um, you know, for for Newcastle to feel like a football club again, and it does. Absolutely, we should be allowed to enjoy that, uh, even a little bit. Um, I've got to have a shout-out to Jack C as well on the real-time section of the Athletic app, who has said, who's playing number seven for Newcastle, and what the hell has Eddie Howe done with Joe Linton? <laughs> he just looks like a different bloke, doesn't he? I mean, the, the he looks like he's had the weight of the world taken off his shoulders, and he can play freely, and he's playing with confidence. Um, him and John Joe Shelby as well, they, they, they just seem to be... Um, they they just seem to have more energy and 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 it just it just looks like different players on that pitch. Yeah, and we definitely have to hold our hands up on that. Chris Chris, who's um, who's having a bit of time off this week, he has done a big piece on Gillington, which is coming out this week. So I'd encourage people to look out for that and some of the stuff that um, Eddie Howe spoke incredibly highly on of him on Friday, saying he can be what he wants to be, praising his tactical know-how and his tactical knowledge and and things like that, which is really you know, which was really great. And I'll you know I'll kind of I'll come on to that in a bit, but yeah, to see um, yeah we ha- we ha- I have to certainly hold my hands up, not because I've had a go at Gillington as a player, but I have had a, a go at at the system that allowed him to be bought for so much money in Newcastle terms and basically just plonked on Steve Bruce, who clearly did not know what to do with him. And, you know, we had two seasons of him trying and, you know, certainly to start with showing that he wasn't a centre-forward, even though he was given the number nine shirt. And really just nobody knowing what, you know, know, what, what does he do? What's he supposed to do? Where does he come in? And suddenly, I mean, I'm not saying it's the answer to everything, but he's looked like a footballer. 
Um, there was that bad, you know, there was a really excellent performance against Brentford, but that sort of bad miss where he got, where he kind of basically fell Where he slipped the at the end, yeah. Yeah, and that was sort of, you know, that was tough to sort of take. But he's 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 added so much to the team in the last three weeks. And we are seeing that he's a footballer. I think sort of as important, we're 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 seeing somebody who's who's committed, who's well liked, and now there's a coach there who sees him as you know part of the answer as opposed to part of the question. You know, the question always was, what do you do with Gillington? And now there's a coach there who's got thoughts about that and ideas about that, and that is really you know, really, really um, encouraging. And you have to give a shout out to Shelby because there have been times in his Newcastle career when he's looked like a liability, where you felt very like, recently, in fact, yeah, 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 and you felt like you couldn't trust him, and you yeah. know that that yes, he could do things on the ball that other players couldn't do, but there was always, you know, there was always another part to his game which was the capacity to give the ball away, to lose concentration, to do something daft. And he's been disciplined, he's been making tackles, um, and he's been dictating the tempo. Yeah, if you'd asked me when Eddie Howe was, was appointed, what will Eddie Howe change? I think the last thing that would have came into my head was turn Joel in, in, into a box-to-box midfielder in the mould of Patrick Vieira. I don't think I would ever have come up with that answer. Uh, and there's a long way to go, uh, but uh, showing signs uh, of being a, a decent player there. And of course, John Joel Shelby as well. Nice to see him uh, making his mark on the game and not just uh, a mark on the legs of opposition players by uh, running his studs down the back of their ankles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's it's a team effort, isn't it, uh, George? And it's it's the full squad, the backroom staff, but it also feels like the fans as well involved in that and the ownership as well. It was great to see them in the director's box celebrating the goals and uh, celebrating the win. Uh, and there was a piece as well on The Athletic this week, Newcastle Divided is now Newcastle United. Sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's... That's the dream. I got I got told off um, by one of my colleagues in the northeast who basically said that is that is your intro. Newcastle, comma United is your intro every single week. But it's what I've wanted. It's like I wanted you know that idea of the team, the team and the club being together. It's it has been it's it's been a dream. It's been fantasy. It's been fantasy because we know that you know fans have been walking into the stadium um, almost against their will. Um, really through habit and now people want to come into the stadium and they want to feel it and they want to be part of it and alright you know there are there have been bumps along the way so far but and doubtless there will be some some more but just just that just that reconnection and I am I'm, you know this is purely the football side of it but there's just that reconnection with wanting to be there wanting to be part of it wanting to support the team wanting to support the manager and everybody rowing the boat the same way and I can't I can't get over how important that is and how nice it is absolutely yeah when we're all singing from the same hymn sheet it feels like there's nothing that this club can, can't achieve doesn't it hallelujah john tudor <laughs> Absolutely right. Let's move on. We'll be back in just a second with Rob Tanner to talk Leicester. So all of a sudden, we're looking at the December fixtures and instead of thinking why us, we're thinking why not? First up, Leicester City, covered for The Athletic by the excellent Rob Tanner, and it's a pleasure to welcome him to the show today. Hello, Rob. Hi, guys. 
How the devil are you? Are you all right? Oh, I'm ticking along. I'm nice. ticking along. Yeah, we're doing all right. Um, well, the team aren't doing all right, <laughs> but uh, I'm doing okay. Yeah, I mean, you've you've written recently about Leicester's repeated mistakes testing the mm. fans' patience. Is this the story of their season? One of inconsistency? Is it? Oh, absolutely. It's. I mean, I'm getting fed up of writing the same thing. It's uh, repeating it on a, a game by game basis at the moment. Um, set pieces, conceding goals from and. Uh, defensively, uh, they're losing concentration and lapses and being punished for it. But um, I mean, on, on, against Villa, that I thought for the first half they they played quite well. The youngsters, because there was only Johnny Evans and Casper uh, Smarkle in the side that were over twenty six, um, played quite well. I thought created some chances, caused Villa some problems, and but it's the same old problem. You know, they 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 give away a few goals from set pieces, and I'm sure. Uh, you know, Newcastle will be looking at and 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 rubbing their hands, and thinking, right, that's the uh, the Achilles heel, the soft underbelly of Leicester. Well, let's expose that. <laughs> and we don't score many goals from set pieces, Rob. So I don't think you've got much to worry about there. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, if you're if you're sick of always writing the same thing, I mean, it's like we might have to wrestle <laughs> naked in front of an open fire to uh, wow. to see who comes to, to to see who comes out on top in that particular one, because Newcastle haven't won a game all season. Well, they have now. They have now. But so, I mean, what 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 do you think is the reason for this? For this inconsistency, is it is it a team that's sort of rebuilding, that's that's sort of trying to change at all, or is it just lack of form, the odd injury, that sort of thing? I think injuries are really caught up with them this season, and that's damaged confidence. I mean, I know they had a lot of injuries last season as well, and they managed to battle their way through it. But I think those injuries are now starting to take their toll. I mean, I I wrote um, recently about I went through all the, the their defensive options and. All of them have had an injury or a, a COVID, like Ryan Bertrand's been struggling with um, the long effects of COVID since, and they've all had problems. I mean, losing Fafana in their last pre-season game, a huge blow. James Justin out with an ACL. Johnny Evans has been having this plantar fasciitis uh, injury that's coming and going, and he's picking up other niggles. Oh, it's horrible! That I've got that. Uh, it's, it's, it's. I'm told it's horrible. Oh, it's evil. Yeah, it's it's just constant pain when you put your foot down. But it's started to. It had to rupture before it could heal, but it caused other problems. Oh, I don't want to get into. Gory details, but I mean, but if you look, go through. I mean, Sionsu's not been the same player since the Turkey's disastrous Euros as well. So there seems to be a real lack of confidence and, but a lack of consistency in selection, not just of personnel but tactics as well. Brendan's had to switch and and change things around depending on who's available from a game by game basis. But recently, it looks like he's had a bit of a consistency in terms of selection. Um, but they're still having those problems. They're still having those problems with set pieces. He still sticks with his mix of zonal marking and man marking. Um, and I know it does, just isn't working. You Sooner or later, you've got to change it. Mm, uh, former mag, or Jose Perez, hasn't started a league game uh, since being sent off in August against West Ham, I think. Paying, is he paying the price for that, or is he just sort of out of favour at the minute? Uh, he's just out of favour. I think um, Adam Ola-Luckman's come in and... I think Brendan's looked at him and, th- and thought, well, I like his pace, his directness. He's a busy little I don't think he's really he? pulled up any trees at the moment, though. So, you know, he's got to look over his shoulder. Perez didn't help himself when he um, hosted a party at the end of last season, uh, which broke the COVID protocols and several of the lads were caught there as well. And they all got dropped for the trip to West Ham, which they lost and subsequently went on to lose top four Champions League qualification. So I think since then, you know, it's a long way back for him. 
one thing we shouldn't forget, of course, is that Leicester are in Europe. You're off to you're off to Naples um, this week, aren't you? I feel really yeah. sorry, sorry, for lucky, me for lucky that. bastard. But how, how much of that? How much of how much of that has been been an issue for for Leicester this season? And do you think there is there's there's potentially a sort of bit of hope for Newcastle there um, in the fact that they play only a couple of days later? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it has been another. Um, well, it's, it's another test for them, really, in terms of the strength and depth in the squad. Um, Jamie Vardy was rested at Villa with an eye on this because obviously it's winner takes all in that group. I mean, Leicester are top now. They've gone from pretty much bottom to top in one one result because uh, it's so tight in that group. And uh, if they can get a result in, in, in uh, Naples, then they win the group. And that means they avoid uh, another couple of games uh, in the knockout stages because they go straight through so they don't have to, they avoid the playoff. So it's a big, big game, but also uh, Napoli now need a result as well. I mean, if it was the case that the both of them could comfortably go through, you imagine they'll play it out. But it um, no, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a test for them, and they're not exactly going into the game uh, feeling good about themselves defensively. And I'm sure Napoli will look at that and think they can exploit a few uh, chinks in the armour. You wrote a beautiful piece from the weekend, um, which is about the emergence of Kean and Dewsbury Hall, yeah. uh, who was known as the Baby Beckham a few years ago. Um, and you 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 talked to his um, you talked to his to his mother, who uh, who was watching the game as he made his Premier League de- debut. Tell us a little bit about about him. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting story, isn't it? Because he's he's twenty three. He's not like he's a baby anymore. Yeah, yeah. And there's a number of those lads that have come through. From the academy, it has been um, quite productive um, with Hamza and Luke Thomas and Harvey Barnes as well. Uh, but um, Kieran is a he's a he's a box to box type midfield player. He's um, good on the ball. He's obviously it's early days. That was his first Premier League start, and, and and there was a few stray passes in there, and it was a difficult evening. But what I loved was in the second half. He got involved in something and uh, Ashley Young squared up to him. Ashley Young, all the experience in the world, all the, everything he's won, an England international, and he, he stood his ground. And I thought, well, fair play to you. You know, he's not shrinking violet and he's going to need that attitude uh, pushing forward if he's going to make a, a real career for himself. And he had a loan spell at Luton where he went there as a kid and uh, he, he, he come back a man, really. He, he learned, you know, that, that, for, that when you play under... 23's development style football. The result's important, but it's not the be-all and end-all. But when you play senior football, I mean, guys' livelihoods depend on that. Um, so, you know, it's really serious stuff. And he adapted really well at Luton. Uh, he's come back and taken that experience on board and now he's looking to kick on. So it's early days for him, but um, I think people are really encouraged by what they've seen so far. He did very well with the cameo at Southampton as well uh, when he came on a sub at half-time and he's just injected a bit of life into that midfield, which has been struggling without Yuri Tielemans. Uh Rob, thinking back to that, that game um, in May that Newcastle beat Leicester at the King Power Stadium 4-2, it's probably the highlight of our season last year and Johnny Evans... Uh, getting injured moments before kick-off. It was a, yeah. a bizarre day to be a Newcastle fan, that one, but a welcome one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, these games are all... I mean, I think Leicester-Newcastle games, I mean... The, the, They're mad, the, aren't they? Uh, they always, something's always going on. I mean, it's it's, it's one of my favourite trips of the season to go up to St James's Park because you go up there and, and you know that the fans are going to get create a great atmosphere and it's going to be a proper football match. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we've had a few, a few ding-dongs with uh, Newcastle over the years and... This one promises to be equally as entertaining. Uh, a new manager that you get the boost from that. Um, you, you know, won that first game. Tails are up. Confidence is high. In contrast, Leicester conceding goals every game. They conceded one or two. 
So there's going to be opportunities. There's encouragement there for Newcastle. I can see this being another ding dong. I can tell you that the away end will be great. I really can. I mean, that's been one of the features since the takeovers gone through. So it should make for a great atmosphere. I'm coming down, so I'm looking forward to looking forward to seeing you, Rob. One, yeah. I, just to throw a kind of a bit of a curveball at you. What do you think now when you look at Newcastle and what's happened over the last kind of couple of months? How do you view the takeover and the club as it is from afar? Um, well, if, if you take out the, the, the obviously the, the concerns about human rights in in that part of the world, just from the football club basis, it's breathed new life into the club. Whenever I've gone, there's always been a cloud over that club. I mean, I can remember when Alan Pardew was manager and it was a championship game, and um, I'm not allowed to swear on this podcast, so I won't. But you I'll, are, I'll just you give are. you the brief no, idea of what you are. Swear as much as you like. Yeah, we encourage it. You can edit it out anyway. It was one of the most stunned I've ever been at a football ground because there was nothing in the game. It was nil-nil, half-time. Players were walking out. The crowd were quite quiet. The stadium was quite quiet. And then one fan ran down from the back, past the press benches, which obviously you know where they are positioned. They're quite close to the pitch. To hurl the most, the biggest volley of abuse <laughs> at a manager I've ever heard in my life. And I think Newcastle went on to win 1-0 and they went on a 10-game run after that which was really positive but there's always that every time I've gone there's always that little air of you know a little bit of antagonism in the crowd that um, can can turn and we uh, must find out who that fan was and buy him a drink because it sounds like he turned our <laughs> he turned our, turned our fortunes around well that it's, it's funny we've already talked about this on this on this show Rob it's one of the strange things about the club that actually now in the last kind of couple of games you've suddenly had this situation where ownership, manager, fans, players are all on the same side and it's not been like that Bizarre. for 14 years. So it's very strange. Uh, exactly. And you can you can tell if everybody was pulling in the same direction, how what the potential of that club and how it could take off. And I think that's the reason why they've gone in and bought the club because they can see that potential there. I mean, it's obvious. It's staring you right in the face. I mean, whenever I go there, the stadium's up on the top of the hill and it is like a mecca. It is like a, a religious experience for the fans. They all climb this hill to the, get to the summit where they uh, worship their black and white gods and um, you know but but they've never been able to reciprocate that that devotion on the pitch but um hopefully it, for, for for Newcastle fans um in the future it's going to be a bit more of uh, of you know rosy days and, and and get that reward for their devotion to their club and we should we shouldn't get you for too long but is i mean and i'm not this isn't a financial question i don't mean in terms of finances but do you think Leicester are a good model for new owners coming into the premier league Leicester is superbly run the owners i mean i can remember when they come in we had all the same concerns that many fans would have when foreign ownership take over what are their motives what are they going to do and um, we'd seen Vincent Tan at Cardiff changing the Bluebirds to red and uh, from the West Midlands. So we saw all the troubles they had with, with Carson Young, the Hong Kong hair, hair, hairdresser that managed to buy the club for £70 million. And you think he's cut a lot of hair to get that money to buy Birmingham City. <laughs> then he gets sent down for money laundering. So, you know, we'd mm. seen all these examples of how those foreign ownerships have, have gone terribly wrong. But I've all described it as uh, less City fans. It's like winning the lottery with the owners that they've had because they cherish the club's history and heritage. They pump millions back into the community through charity and uh, through the economy as well. The economy swelled and they've put Leicester on the map. So um, that is a model for how a club of their size 
can be run and achieve things and what they have achieved has been extraordinary and I've been lucky enough to to follow that journey. Fantastic stuff Rob, what's your thoughts on Newcastle's chance of survival now then apparently 1.3 points per game between now and the end of the season will be enough to keep us up, do you think uh, Do you think we've got I'm, a chance I'm, of doing it? I'm confident, I, I, I just think if they can get some momentum going now, they've got that first win, if they can get some momentum going, that's a, it's a major thing in the Premier League, if you can get it going, get some consistency of selection, get consistency of performance you'll be okay. I mean, there's got to be three worst teams in the in the Premier League, hasn't there? I mean, uh, you've got Callum Wilson, you've got a goal scorer. So, so, so there's, you know, I, I think there's every reason to be optimistic for Newcastle fans. So, Rob, what's, what, what are you hoping for for Leicester then for the rest of the season? What's what's the uh, the targets and, and what's the hopes? Well, I'm hoping they'll not pick up any more injuries, get some of the lads back, like J- uh, Justin's not far away, Fafana will be in the new year. Tielemans is a bit of a question mark over him in terms of his contract that he's been offered that he's refusing to sign at the moment. He might be moving on. That would be a major We love him. We love him. Yeah, well, he's yeah, going to cost a come. few quid, mind, yeah. but you can... I'll yeah. drive him myself. I don't care. No, we love <laughs> him. He wants to play in the Champions League, so... Um, yeah, he might be, be there. Don't worry about that. that. <laughs> so, yeah, for the rest of the season, I, I just hope they get some consistency going again because there are a number of fans that are disenchanted a little bit at the moment and I know the expectation levels have been raised so much, so... Um, you know, they're questioning Brendan, they're, they're even questioning Casper Smichael's role in the side at the moment, um, some of them. And he's been so important to what they've achieved. So I just hope that they, they can get some consistency, get some, a feel-good factor going, get some momentum, and then perhaps challenge for a top six again. Rob, thank you so much for coming on, mate, and giving us your time. I know you're a very busy man. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. It's been great to uh, to listen to you. And uh, fingers crossed, Newcastle will be able to put Leicester to the sword on Sunday. You never know. Hope, I, hope, I hope you have a nice trip to Napoli anyway. Enjoy. Yeah, enjoy the pizza. Oh, thank you very much. Right, as usual, we've asked uh, our subscribers on the real-time feed of The Athletic app for their questions. So let's dive straight in. Michael B asks, any updates on the director of football situation after Mia Dedgaduce's tweet saying that Michael Emanalo hasn't been offered the job? George, anything on this? Well, I mean, just to sort of repeat what I've said earlier, that I think people went a bit ahead of themselves in terms of appointments. I mean, I think that, um, I think that, process oh I'm not allowed to say process am I but uh, I think all that has been kind of going on in the background they have talked to Emiliano but they've also spoken to other people and still are so I think that's where it is but I do know for a fact that Amanda Staveley and and Murdad were both working actively on transfers themselves last week they were uh, to coin a phrase um, you know getting their hands dirty and so that's what I think that's how I think we are leading up into into January and that does lead into another question we found from Brian O who says that the word from Emanolano's camp is that the Newcastle project isn't ambitious enough do we need to tamper our hopes expectations for the future and what I would say about that is I mean they've they've already told told us what their ambitions are their ambitions are to win the Premier League and the Champions League within five to ten years I mean that's that's pretty ambitious but they're not there yet and at the moment if we're talking about transfers they need transfers in, you know certainly in January they need people who can get them out of the bottom three if they're not out of the bottom three by then they need people who can help stabilize the club ideally they need people 
who can grow with them over the next kind of two or three years. I'll repeat what I've said countless times. They are not throwing money at this willy-nilly. There is a budget. They have to use that budget very cleverly. Now, does that equate to a lack of ambition? I don't think so. But if Emanano is you know is used to working with Champions League players and at the top of the league, Newcastle aren't there at the moment and they chances are they won't be there for quite a while. So perhaps that's what that means. We have to box clever with this slightly, don't we? Because you know we, we have to think about which which players would want to come to Newcastle in, in, in a position where they potentially could be relegated. I can't think of many uh, established Premier League players. You know, we've talked about James Tarkovsky and we've talked about others. Like, would they want to leave their clubs and their positions if they're playing regularly and, and come to a team which, you know, for all intents and purposes, still could go down? Uh, it's an interesting one. We have to, we have to think about that. Uh, Steve P follows on to this uh, and says, who at the club is driving the January recruitment plans? Uh, is it Frank McParland? Uh, and given how important Alan Maximan and Callum Wilson are to us, should we be rotating the squad over the fourth coming December fixture list what do we think um so Frank McParland no is not involved so he was um he was kind of part of Amanda Staveley's uh recruitment team sort of football advisors uh, and has been for a long time along with Owen Brown Frank isn't actively involved um I mean he was around when the takeover sort of actually went through he's been a very valuable um sort of member of that team but isn't isn't doing stuff uh, for the club, either fish, officially or unofficially, at the moment, at the moment, so it is Steve Nixon, it um, who was already at the club. It is the owners, and I'm sure Eddie Howe will have an involvement too. Now, I don't. I'm not aware of. I'm not aware of anybody else in the background, um, sort of uh, dictating things. So I think. I think it is them. They, as always, as they have been throughout the whole. Um, spell of finding managers and things like that, be taking advice and be being given loads of advice whether they want it or not from from other people around the game. But it's it's them doing it. Um, Gavin Kerr has asked as well on a similar tact. Uh, do you feel? Do you have a feel for the transfer strategy in January? Surely it has to be driven by loans with an option to buy. Given the calibre of players we need, uh, won't want to risk playing in the second tier. Uh, it's an interesting one, this isn't it? You would imagine that loans would come into this, George. And and you know we've we've used the loan system to varying degrees of success over the years. But uh, is that something that the club will be actively looking at? Yeah, I think that. I mean, f- for me personally, this is. I mean, this is my point of view not 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 theirs but i think that's an area where they where they can gamble a bit um you know i think i think there were some sort of obvious areas of the team like center half that need strengthening and you know ideally would need strengthening with people who will be at the club for a while but perhaps the loan gives them a chance to sort of take a bit of a punt um on players who might otherwise uh you know not be available for for sale or might not be within their budget for January. So I think that's kind of quite interesting. I realise they didn't answer that question about St Maximo and Wilson. I mean that they will people will have to be rotated over over December simply because of the quantity of games. I mean, it's very difficult. You know, Callum Wilson played three games in the last week and, you know, you sort of worry a bit about that because we know that he's susceptible to injury. Um, at the same time, take him out of the team, and it's difficult to know where wins come from. So, they will have to, you know, Eddie Howe will have to be smart with his players. I would expect, having mentioned Isaac Hayden, for example, I would expect him to come in to the reckoning for some of the games against, you know, perhaps not necessarily Leicester, but you know that 
playing Liverpool and the two Manchester teams afterwards, I would, I would, you know, I'd think that kind of player would would be um, would be useful. Um, you know, again, in terms of January, they want they want a bit of value if they can find it. Um, they have been looking at players who are sort of towards the end of contracts um, and and so on and so forth. But yeah, um, and they are looking. Yeah, they are looking outside the country too. Okay, um, Sean S and Michael S both asked similar questions. Uh, do you think the amazing atmosphere at St James's Park recently will impact players' desire to sign in January? Do professional players care about it, or do they just move for money? Uh, what do we think, George? Do you think the atmosphere in St James in St James's could provide attractive uh, possibilities for, for for future players? Well, you would hope so. You would hope that you know. I mean, we've we've joked. Joke before on the podcast about the people who've watched Goal and um, join the <laughs> yeah. and join the you know because that's something that was in their sort of subconscious and you know, someone someone as sort of um, detail obsessed and scientific and clinical as as Rafa Benitez came to Newcastle because he could see the club's potential and size and so you would hope and that, he stayed when when we were relegated absolutely yeah yeah so you would you would you would hope that you would hope that. Um, players and their agents would see that this is a club that's on the cusp of something, and now perhaps it it finally has, you know, the crowd back. The crowd's never been away, but you know what I mean. It finally has, it finally has that noise behind it again. All these things come into it, don't they? There's money. There's there's whatever the project is. You want you you know you want a manager. You want to feel that the manager is going to improve you. You want to feel that it's a club that can grow. That hasn't been there. Um, I don't think for the last few years, and so you know, potentially having having that is very important. I think also, though, that players and agents will try and chance their arm with the owners because because they know that there's money there. I think they'll get be in for a rude awakening when it comes to that because you know we, we we've we've talked all the way through this pod about about the spirit and the camaraderie and that great togetherness at the club. The one thing. You know that's the one thing that they have to protect, isn't it? I think, and I think, you know, if you're suddenly paying somebody two hundred grand a week and things like that, I think that becomes a bit more difficult. Well, we just have to keep our fingers crossed. It's going to be a uh, it's going to be a busy January, I'd imagine, uh, and uh, we'll see where things go. Right, we'll be back in just a moment to wrap things up. Take care. You know what it means. Look after yourself. Okay. Good luck. Right then, uh, I've got to say just before we go, good luck to the under-23s who, as we record, they are just about to kick off against uh, Sunderland in PL2. Uh, good luck, lads. Hope we can put a few goals past the Maggams. And, in fact, the FA Cup draw is just being made now too. So, who have we got? Uh, ooh, Cambridge at home. I think we could actually win that. that. That truly would be the sign of a new era and possibly also the apocalypse. A less than 1% chance, George, but there's still a chance. Right. Uh, we'll be back next week. Until then, thanks to George uh, for, for joining me again, as always. George, it's felt like a slightly more considered and grown-up version of the podcast this week without Chris here to bring the, the tone down, hasn't it? It's, uh, um, you're, it's, saying it's that, been... you're, you're saying that, Taylor. You know perfectly well that you have been making cock jokes from <laughs> the moment that we joined this call. <laughs> and we may they may not figure on the podcast because they've been taken they out. Definitely but won't. You've gone X-rated. You've gone X-rated without the poor delicate ears of Chris. He, he needs to come back after dark. That's, That's what, what it's this been is. Like. It's 
It's been shocking. <laughs> Mind you, I'm the one who brought up wrestling naked with Rob Tanner in front of an open fire, so I've yeah. certainly And that's now the, the third time that that's been mentioned today. Well I'm done. so sorry. I'm so sorry, Rob. <laughs> oh, thanks to George, of course, and thank you to Rob Tanner for dealing with that. Uh, and, of course, thank you to Callum Wilson for simply being a bloody gorgeous, brilliant goal scorer. <laughs> Uh, and thanks to you uh, for listening from everyone at Pod on the Tyne it's goodbye for now I'll tell you what that fan said go on that fan said Fuck off, Pardew, you silver-haired c- <laughs> Yeah. And I was yeah. like, and it just echoed yeah. around the stadium because oh, nobody else yeah. was saying Put it in the yeah. podcast. <laughs> 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 the Athletic. <laughs>